This is the Talk Editions Podcast, episode 36, with Fong Tran. This is the last episode in our series of interviews with artists who performed on Swoonfest, our 10th anniversary festival, which happened on May 5th and 6th, 2023, at the Clemente Center on the Lower East Side. It was such an incredible two days of music. We want to thank everyone who came to listen, everyone who helped out, and of course, all the artists who performed. Fong opened the festival with an absolutely gorgeous solo set, and we are very happy to present this conversation we had with him just before the festival. Here we go. Fong Tran is a Brooklyn-based composer and visual artist primarily working in digital and electronic mediums. His work revolves around emotions and experience in non-physical spaces. His most recent album, The Computer Room, is a thank you to virtual worlds, video games, message boards, and the people that filled them in the early 2000s. Fong's work has been released through New Amsterdam Records, People Places Records, and Slash Sound, and he performs live using all analog and modular synthesizers. Fong works in Media Queer, an interdisciplinary project with fellow composer and visual artist Darian Thomas. Welcome, Fong. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. I'm Marina. I'm the violinist of talk. I'm Charlotte, vocalist of talk. And you are Fong. Tran. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> and you're performing on Swoomfest, which we're super, super excited about. Thank you for coming and talking to us about your set and for playing a set. Yeah, yeah. I'm super excited to do it. Yeah, it's it's been kind of a, a whirlwind getting ready for it but i'm i'm really excited to like play and it's your 10th anniversary right yeah it is yeah so that's huge congrats to y'all thank you we're feeling really excited about turning 10 and getting to have a big party with all of our friends and we're really excited to have you performing so you said it's been a whirlwind can you elaborate what do you have planned for us yeah i mean i feel like the theme of this last year is like figuring out how to enjoy <laughs> being a musician again <laughs> like we got out of the pandemic zone and was like all right time to go do all the gigs like hyper focus like hustle like crazy and then I just was like okay I need to take a step back and figure out why I was I started doing music in the first place and like oh I'm doing this because I want to have fun doing something and not because I wanted to like exhaust myself doing gigs that I don't want to be doing or like working on projects for the sake of working on projects to like network and do all of that whole thing. That's, that's not it. So then just started getting into a regular practice of improvising and just kind of feeling things more in the moment and being less critical of myself as I'm working on things and letting things flow very naturally. <laughs> so yeah, I think my set next uh, on the fifth will kind of be a reflection of that um, and build out in a space that does that. That's really cool. I'm really excited to be opening with your music too, because there's something that I always find like really joyful about what you do. I don't know, like, is, I don't know if that's me projecting something, but, or if it's just like the timbre of the synth sounds that you use and the video art as well, that is there going to be a video element? I I've been playing around with some video stuff. I have like this still image kind of meditative loop that I might have on the background. Uh, I'm still figuring that out, but the big project I've been working on has been 
something to like bridge the visual art I'm making with like some programming I've been doing uh, over the last couple of years and the music. So I, I just decided to start working on a video game. A lot of the material will be kind of pulling from that. What's the game like? So I'm working on a video game about mental health <laughs> and like okay. my ongoing struggle with like depression and just building out small scenes that you can explore. So each level is kind of a, a vignette on like how to deal with that, I guess, or at least how I've been dealing with it. It's it's all a big experiment for me, and I don't have a title for anything yet. It just all sits in a folder called Sisyphus. <laughs> so. Is that the name of the game? No, that's just uh, like... The feeling. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think something I learned from Bill Rattel was like, oh yeah, if you just give something the worst title as like your starting point, that just forces you to like keep thinking about it until you come up with an actual title that you want to keep. <laughs> So mm, I'm still finding the the absolute worst title and like Sisyphus is kind of that. <laughs> well, I feel yeah. like when I write pieces, I come up with a bad title and then I feel like I need to replace it. So I come up with another bad title, but I'm going to, I'm going to try coming up with a good one next time. <laughs> it's a good idea. <laughs> I mean, I love a bad title. Bad titles are, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's so interesting that you're composing this video game and you're going to use musical elements from that in a live like musical set what elements of the material are you repurposing you know how are you thinking about that so the game is largely about spaces and environments so I, that feels very similar to how I treat my musical material I'm just mm -hmm. like letting things develop and create an area for people to exist and like inhabit and it's all still very exploratory right now. So I actually don't quite know <laughs> anything. I'm just like letting things happen and then cherry picking kind of moments across that to see what sticks and what lands. Yeah, that's cool. When you're talking about like building spaces, when you're performing live solo sets or just like live sets in general, I guess, are you working a lot with like looping and layering and that those kinds of processes or drones or like, yes, all of the above, no? Yeah, all of that. I think a lot of my older sets have used a lot of looping. I actually got to a gig, did sound check with my loop pedal, and I was like, okay, cool. We just have like one more track to check. I'll like start going. And then my loop pedal just breaks like the Ooh. last song I'm checking <laughs> before I have to go on. So then I'm just like, okay, well, this set's going to be what it's going to be, and we're going to have fun with it. <laughs> but it actually turned out pretty good. This was, like, in the middle of me just giving myself permission to to just have fun and let go. So I think this upcoming set, I'm kind of pushing myself out of the loop zone and more into letting the machines run and, like, kind of sculpt out as as they kind of do their thing. <laughs> And have you decided which machines you're bringing? Are you bringing some analog or um, modular synths? Or what's your setup? So I have, uh, it's all analog modular gear. I have my Korg mini log. That's like kind of the main thing. And then I have a bunch of Euro rack modules that are going to be processing that and making their own sounds with that. Yeah. So cool. <laughs> I was looking at your website and I, I was looking at your works list and I saw that in 2020, you wrote like a bunch of solo pieces, which makes a lot of sense. <laughs> but during the pandemic, were you also doing your own solo stuff 
you wrote like eight pieces or something for solo instruments in 2020. <laughs> and I'm just wondering what your practice was like in that time and like how coming out of it has felt and like what that transition has been like. A lot of those solo pieces were projects with friends. So I was just like, hey, we're we're all kind of stuck here and we're kind of helping each other out. Like they're commissioning me and I'm writing much larger things than I would. And everything felt very personal. Very few of them were just because I needed to do a thing. It was like, oh, I know people and we're we're all like trying to build a community together and help each other out. And I definitely would not have made it through <laughs> the pandemic without a bunch of those solo commissions. So it was really, really nice to like have something to practice and like focus on. And that was most of, I think most of my music output was that and like some small recording projects on my synth and stuff like that. But the big shift that happened for me during the pandemic was actually getting to build out a regular visual art practice. So I started posting a lot more code-based, like generative art, experimenting with that. And then you know, something I kind of like do more privately is a bunch of Photoshop drawing. There was a period over, I think, towards like the end of 2021 or 2022 even, I would just like find photos of like naked men and just be like, okay, I'm just going to draw this just because I want to draw this right now. Like I need <laughs> to make queer art in like the weirdest way possible. And I'm just going to like practice like figure drawing and like, yeah, let's let's like draw these two dudes having sex in like some weird space metal thing. And it was just like a fun experiment to flesh out. Um, and then I feel like that's now all feeding back and cycling into each other. This year particularly has been a big shift back into music for me. So that's been a... <laughs> Just having to rethink about like, oh, yeah, how do I compose notes again? Like, I've opened Sibelius for the first time since those solo commissions this month. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, what, what does this feel like after going through all of this? That's super interesting. I haven't heard of that particular pandemic hobby yet, but I like that. That's a good one. That's creative. <laughs> yeah, I'm like over here knitting and you're like <laughs> making like very cool. Stuff. I mean, I don't share this with anyone. This is like very personal project because I I'm not like the best hand drawing mm -hmm. or anything like that so it's all very crude and working on it <laughs> it's been nice to know that I'm bad at something and like actively still sit in that very beginner zone like you learn the most outside of that by doing that I think totally that really resonates with me that was like over the worst of the isolation and the pandemic that was something that I was super drawn to as well was just like picking up Things that I thought were cool, but just like wasn't good at and just it's like when you first start running, you get much better really quickly. And yeah, I find that with like when you're first learning something, there's like such a it's so satisfying to like be kind of bad at something and then like get better. Mm -hmm. And that's something that a lot of the time I feel like we don't have time to do when we're in the midst of hustling and like working on things that maybe you are more practiced or are good at. No, exactly. I, that was kind of like a good resting point, honestly, just not having to hustle on something and doing something for the pure fun of it and not have like the pressure on that. And then everything else, when I go back and visit the things that I'm being asked to do professionally, I can go at it with like such a fresh perspective after having fun with it versus just like, oh, is this good enough? Uh, you see the progress that you're making on a thing like that. And it's just like so incremental. Yeah. But then when you take a step back 
and you're like, oh, actually, these are these are pretty significant things. Once you know the larger scope of your progress, you can take it step by step and enjoy that process instead of trying to rush to the end. Totally. I also feel like starting a new video game, you have that feeling of like, oh, I'm learning a new world. I'm learning the skills I need for this particular game. And then even as you go along and you feel like you understand how the game works, there are always like, there's a new level to finish, a new challenge, whatever. It's like, not that I'm a huge video game person, but that's, I feel like that's part of the joy of games as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like they like bake it into that so that way you feel that you're like actively learning how the game works. And that's that's the rewarding process. There's a lot of games that do that are really good at that at the beginning. And then there's like kind of a okay, just practice like playing this game for a while and like figure out what this is. And then you you like go on YouTube and you watch some 15 year old who's been playing the game their whole life. And you're like, oh, that's actually how this game is supposed to be played. This is like a little virtuoso going here is like, okay, how are, learn all the, the tiny little optimizations and like all the, the micro steps that, that they do to play so clean. It's just like, oh yeah, it's the same with music, same with art, anything. Totally, yeah, that's yeah. What I like that you use the word virtuoso for a talented video game player. It's true, it is, it's so virtuosic. <laughs> so your main instruments are synths at this point, right? Yes, yeah. What's your background? Because like, you're also, you know, like a composer of music that is sometimes traditionally notated, sometimes. Not. I, I played a piece of yours recently, um, Flocking. Oh, uh, yeah. And, and the notation for that is like really interesting, actually. I, I think it I think it works super well. It's a lot of like, do this for a while until you want to do the next thing. Here's a little path. Then you can take this option or the other option. A lot of arrows and stuff like that. But yeah, like, how did you get to where you are now in your practice it's like a pretty multifaceted practice <laughs> I mean a lot of it is just like me getting bored and then wanting to do something and then changing gears but yeah I started uh as like a trumpet player in middle school and high school and then did I was in like the marching band all of that went to undergrad for composition at University of Georgia struggled with trumpet lessons during all of that I feel like my professor took pity on me he was like oh yeah, I know. I know you're a composer. You're not actually trying to play trumpet, so we're just gonna. You're just gonna let you slide. <laughs> uh, that was like my actual main instrument. I haven't. I haven't touched trumpet since. And then I taught myself piano during high school very loosely. I would never call myself a pianist. That kind of translated into me messing around with keyboard synths and all of that. There was like a analog studio in my undergrad, so that was where I learned all my electronic music backgrounds, and then just always interested in computers and video games. Uh, so that was just me teaching myself how to code and do all of that. And that was a little bit after grad school, um, I started doing that more seriously. So I, I started getting more into visual art because I wanted to work on something creative and not listen to my own music. <laughs> like, <laughs> like Sibelius playback of your own stuff only gets you so far. Uh, yeah. So I would uh, I would like work on some coding projects and use that time to also actively listen to other things and well I guess not as actively but because <laughs> I'm I'm doing another thing, um, but that was a really fun period of just picking something up, putting it down, and like juggling multiple things. So I think at this point I'm actively 
not trying to master anything. <laughs> I'm I'm like trying to see be as unspecialized as I can and hope that everything kind of synthesizes into synthesizes pun intended no <laughs> sure <laughs> why not <laughs> I'm trying to build a career that lets me kind of weave in and out of all of these things yeah I I'm really liking that all the disciplines I'm working in feed into each other um but in less direct ways than I think had I just gone to art school after music school and done like programming for like a dedicated period of time just letting things flow as my brain gets tired of one activity and wants to move to another yeah so do you feel like you ever felt anxiety about like there's this one kind of music that I'm supposed to write according to the grants or whatever according to my teachers and then there's this other kind of music that I really want to make do you think that avoiding being a specialist kind of helped you to avoid that sort of pitfall I think there was uh like a long period where I was just like, oh yeah, I want to do the capital C composer thing. And I like, you know, want to write for all, all the instruments and do do the the big thing. And then I think the more I started working with synthesizers and actually having the agency to just make something on my own, that paired with all of the hurdles and hoops you have to jump through to get anything done in classical world that was just like oh okay I'm allowed to like listen to all these other things and make this and still have that be like a validating experience for me it just kind of forced me to take a critical look at like why was the capital C composer route the route that was so actively pushed on me as like this is what it means to be successful so yeah a lot of active unlearning to work around that and like give myself permission to not have Mm -hmm. to do that (laughs) Like, it's there when I want to do it, but it's not the only avenue of success. Yeah, and it's not the one paradigm that you have to live your life by. Yeah, totally. I was wondering if maybe you could talk a little bit about your project Media Queer that you have with Darian. Yeah, uh, so we met as part of the New Amsterdam Composer Lab, which is like a super accessible composer workshop that Bill Bertel puts on. It takes place over Zoom, so you get to work with composers and like, like have conversations with people across the world. I remember getting an email from him. It was like, hey, we're meeting on Zoom in like 2018. And I was like, why aren't we using Skype or like Google Chat or something? Like, what is this Zoom thing? And then and here, <laughs> here we, we are. are. But we met there and then Darian moved to New York basically right after that ended. And during that session, we, we both kind of resonated towards each other's work and Darian also shares this very fluid interdisciplinary practice moving between, you know, like live performance composing and also like fashion and performance art um, and visual art and like video art. So we both wanted to get together and let each other's weird hang out in front of each other and just like be able to move fluidly between all of these creative practices that we're, we're both in. I don't think I've met anyone other than him who's so specialized in music but then also so adept at moving across all these different mediums and genres that we just like naturally gravitated to each other to to let this happen so yeah now we just kind of do a lot of projects together we've performed mostly uh electronics and violin for a long time and then we've made a bunch of album art together and this past year we got to work on some really weird piano arrangements for A24 with their Everything Everywhere All at Once songbook. So cool. that was a fun, fun project to, to do that. Too. 
I'm always interested to talk to people who are doing like collaborative composition projects. What does that process look like for you when you're working with Darian? So a lot of our practices pretty improvisational. Like we'll get a rehearsal going together and we'll just start going. We'll just play and see where things land. And then we'll like talk about it afterwards and map out like, okay, these ideas were really fun. This was a little hairy or like, is this something we can kind of dig deeper on and explore more? And then we kind of just keep doing that until we land on a space that's like, all right, we're going to take this kind of idea here and like these larger ideas and kind of sequence them out together. And then we just like re-improvise our way back through those larger scale things. Like we very rarely actually notate out like specific things for us to do. It's always like, yeah, this is like the general shape or like the arc or like sound world thing. And we kind of just trust each other to fill that out with our voices and like take turns leading and following each other to the next step. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Does one of you ever like bring an idea that you have beforehand, just like, let's try this out? Or is it really just like improvised in the moment together? There definitely been points where I think our last performance, Darian's been working on a solo album. So we wanted to do something together and pull something from his solo album, which is uh, this Mexican song, Volver. So he brought that to, to me and was like, all right, I want to sing this thing and like, Here's like a general chord progression and flow. And then we kind of ran with that for a little while. And then I think our last kind of instance of that before, uh, I had written text for a piece that had to like get axed for some reason. The text was very sexually explicit. It was a list of like kinks. And you know how on Grinder everyone's like, oh, what are you into? I'm into like XYZ, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And then literally right next to that will be like no fats no femmes no asians no blacks so it's like okay cool you're very open with both your <laughs> sexual interests and your racism so let's yeah. let's play with this as a as a as an idea so that's a piece called into that we've been meaning to basically we're trying to figure out like how do we refine this how do we develop this out even more um so that's kind of been a back burner project <laughs> cool and for collaborating on visuals what does that look like we both are super into a lot of the same visual influences. So whenever we have a project coming up, we'll just like hang out and talk. And then someone will have some idea for like a core image thing. And then we'll just start fleshing it out and like just bouncing ideas off each other. And a lot of it is us sitting at a computer and like taking turns, like, all right, I'll, I'll do some Photoshopy things and then he'll jump on and we'll just like trade back and forth on the computer. <laughs> yeah. Cool. What a fluid collaborative process. That's so beautiful. It's also, yeah. I like the name like media queer. It's like a kind of queering of media as well. Yeah. And like the kind of boundaries that separate one media from another. Yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah, that's that's exactly why we <laughs> exactly where the name. <laughs> what have you not have, have you thought about it that way? <laughs> <laughs> like over here mansplaining the name of your group. Um when you mentioned the grinder preferences, using that in a piece, it it struck me as like one more example of you taking something that feels both very intimate, but also shared among a huge group of people, like the idea of breaking up over AOL or of like sitting in a computer room with by yourself. Like, it seems like you're especially gifted at 
illustrating those kinds of like environments or whatever, and also like, especially interested in that. Can you pinpoint some time in your past or like some piece or where that might have sort of started or where that might have clicked for you? I grew up on the internet. I grew up pretty isolated in like the suburbs of Georgia and most of my social interaction was online video games and like talking to to people online. Even like romantically, I had met most of my partners via the internet. Like it wasn't like a, oh, we're going to like the gay bar and it all happens <laughs> on the internet and then somehow it becomes like a real life thing. So I think that's just kind of my brain's fascination of like how that medium of social interaction works and what's like the decorum there and how does it actually impact people? Because it's not like I've seen boomers talk about, oh, it's it's all online. It's all made up. And it's like it's, what happens on the computer is on the computer. It's like, no, <laughs> it has a very tangible impact on yeah. how we live our day to day lives and what what that means for us. And what is a space like? I still remember my MySpace page and think of it like more fondly than my childhood bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, there's just something about that early time of the internet that always has a special place in my heart and I, and I know I'm not the only one that has that so yeah I try to make art that's reflective of that and I think that's why I gravitate toward vaporwave because that is the other community that centers itself around this thing like I don't think I've ever been more seen as an audience member than when I went to Electronicon which is like the big vaporwave festival that happens, I think, here in LA. I was just like, oh, everyone in the audience is a total, like, huge internet nerd. <laughs> I don't like, really know anything oh. about vaporwave. What is that? Oh, okay. It's a genre of music and art, I guess, that focuses itself around 80s, early 90s pop culture and plays with it in a fun and weird way. There's a lot of plunderphonics that goes on of ripping from 80s pop ballads and kind of a, a weird imagining of what the internet could have been had capitalism not ruined everything but it's also at the same time it's like a big critique of capitalism in in a lot of ways of just like consumer culture like there's like a lot of arizona iced tea imagery of like haha this is so funny this is just like dumb capitalism but it's also art ha 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 uh <laughs> like it's it's something that doesn't take itself too seriously when was it started? Uh, like late 2000s, I think. Okay. Yeah. The, I think the big hallmark of it was that this was the first big genre that didn't come from a local scene. The local like scene internet. was the internet. Yeah. 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 Like it was someone in like the Midwest and in Japan and like, you know, all these like very remote, isolated spaces that kind of came together on the internet to make this cultural thing. I imagine it might be really therapeutic then to get together in person with all these people that share this thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You see someone else that's into the same thing. It, this happens even in like new music when you're out in like a not new music space and you're like, oh, you know John Cage or like, you know, so-and-so composer. It's like, okay, cool. But there's like a kinship there and that I, I feel like I hadn't gotten that sense of kinship in in person like that in a long time. Would you consider yourself part of Vaporwave or do you think that your style of music is like distinct enough from that that you don't quite fit into that genre? I don't know if I fit exactly in that genre, but it's definitely 
a part of my influence. Like I wouldn't be upset to be called a vaporwave artist. <laughs> but uh, I don't know that I am actively pursuing to make vaporwave except with like a couple of projects here and there. Like the breakup mixtape that is like squarely a vaporwave project. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Did you go into it being like, I want to make a vaporwave thing or like? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It was like uh, very intentional. Yeah. Yeah. That was a very intentional, like, this is a thing I, I'm very interested in and I want to be a part of that. And I want to like figure out what my, my voice is participating in that. <laughs> is that the first time you've done something like that where you're like, I like this thing, this genre, this community, I want to enter into it in an intentional way? Actually, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that might be the first actual attempt at fitting into a genre, for sure. <laughs> how how was that? I think it worked out in that, like, I think the genre conventions of Vaporwave fit in line with what I was already kind of wanting to do. So I don't know that I I set out to, like, firmly make a Vaporwave thing, but I was I knew I was participating in the thing. I knew I was like, this is, I'm making Vaporwave, but I, I'm allowed to be weird with it I'm allowed to take up my own space there mm -hmm. um so yeah I I don't know how actively I was actually thinking about I'm using this chord progression or like fitting at the genre but more of like the general aesthetic intent of I'm remixing this weird cultural phenomena in a, a way and I'm contextualizing the work as this internet phenomenon of an A will break up. Yeah. More an aesthetic practice than a genre practice, actually. Yeah. What's the difference? I feel like genre has more constraints on the resulting product, like what the sound is. And I think mm. aesthetic is more rooted in the process of like how something is made, but less concerned with what comes out of it. Mm. Maybe. Yeah, I think that's true. I think aesthetic can be working with like bigger ideas and genres like there are very specific detailed things that have to be in place I think for something yeah. to be part of a specific genre I had this conversation a while ago at a residency um we were talking about opera and I feel like this has a similar vibe of like this thing functions as like an opera as like the genre but also more complicated can we talk about opera as the institution or opera like aesthetically and like that weird yeah play like those are those are those can be separate things of like this piece has voice and very long text and bel canto singing but independently funded and like smaller scale or whatever like is that still an opera what does that mean or is it like oh it needs to come from an opera house and it needs to like be from this thing and you know yeah, genre's like, fake genre's <laughs> fake Genre ends up getting problematic real quick as soon as you start breaking it down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Speaking of breaking down illusions, <laughs> I know on the computer room, one of the themes you were playing with was the idea of, um, are we all living in a simulation right now? <laughs> Is that still something you're fascinated by? Or how, how has your like conceptualization of like simulation theory evolved in the past two or three years since that album has come out? I mean, even while working on it, I knew going in that was like simulation theory was like the seeds of where that project was coming from. And then the computer room came out of that after my like working mindset was like okay if we're all in a simulation 
does that actually matter or not? If we are or aren't, the feelings we have, the experiences we have, those are all actual things that are happening to us in this moment, simulated or not. So that line of thinking led me to thinking about like, okay, on a smaller scale, that's basically what my internet relationships have all been. Like, I don't know this person's name. I don't know what they look like. I don't know any details about their life other than what we've had interacting on this video game or like in a chat room or whatever. But those conversations and like their presence in this simulated space had like a tangible impact on me as a person, as a human. So that is just like a synecdoche, right? Of of that experience of like something seemingly not at all real actually being very real. So like if this is a simulation, I don't think it matters whether or not it is or isn't. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, but if you knew for sure it was a simulation, might, mightn't that change how you felt about it? Or maybe not? I mean, if I knew for sure this was a simulation, I would actively be committing more crimes against rich people. <laughs> <laughs> I would be, you know, yeah. I feel like uh, violence should is fine against, uh, you know, the oppressors. <laughs> so that's what I'd be doing with with the newfound knowledge of confirmed simulation. I'm like, oh, nothing matters. Okay, well, we can we can we make it matter for the the people Ooh, who yeah. need it. Yeah. Is this right. is the simulation that you're imagining in this scenario like everybody is participating in a simulation? but everyone exists or is it like you're the only one who exists and everything else is a simulation oh this would be like everything is a simulation like everyone is a yeah but including i I mean but then like who is it being simulated for do you have consciousness and you're like in the matrix pod no i don't think that would be super egotistical if it was like hi yes i'm the only one that's real and none of you are well but also (laughs) but when when we talk to each other like am i in this scenario experiencing a simulation or am i like just part of your simulation (laughs) i don't think either of us are the simulation's protagonist i don't think there is one what i hope if this is actually a simulation is that we're all just like scripts on like someone's window of sims and then who knows maybe that person playing this world of sims is actually also a simulation of like there's so many layers to this of like, you know, it's tabs inside of tabs inside of tabs. <laughs> wow. So um, consciousness is also just like our experience of the script. I think so. Yeah. I mean, that's like the whole, like AI is getting to a weird spot where that's. <laughs> it's like not that impossible. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. I've seen Westworld. Just... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My really uh, dumb, problematic, stupid theory on the pandemic was that the simulation needed to clear out some RAM. So we were just like, all right, then we can't calculate this many social interactions. Everyone needs to calm down for like a year. And we need to like, yeah, we just need to like cool down. We're overheating. Simulation just needs to little, little break. (laughs) Yeah. I like that. I had fewer social interactions, but I definitely had like, a much more complicated mental scheme going on. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what that does for Ram. (laughs) Well, we should probably wrap up this conversation 
is there anything that you have coming up that you want to plug besides Swoonfest or any recent releases? I've, I've kind of been in like the composer tank for a little while, so everything's still still cooking. But I have a series of performances with Ballet Collective happening October 31st to November 2nd. That's my next uh, big performance that's happening. Well, that's a dance company, Ballet Collective? Yeah. They're commissioning me for a dance piece, and we've been working with a tabletop game designer as a, another collaborator as part of the process. So we're like playing RPGs and doing that whole thing and building a ballet out of it. <laughs> Whoa. And is that just for sort of dramaturgical purposes, or or is there going to be like some kind of game form embedded in the dance? or uh, Parts of both. That's so fascinating. Cool. We'll put info for that in the show notes. Yeah, yeah. I don't have a whole lot of details right now, but... If it exists online, we can link to it. Right. Well, Fong, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm going (laughs) to take care of my dog now, who's who's not happy about being in the (laughs) crate. Yeah, let him free. Yeah. (laughs) This was such a fun conversation. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on, and I'm super excited to play at Swoonfest. Us too. Us too. All right. Okay. Bye. 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 This has been the Talk Editions podcast, episode 36 with Fong Tran. To learn more about Fong or Talk or Swoonfest, check out the links in our show notes. This podcast was produced by Charlotte Mundy and Marina Kiverstein and edited by me, Charlotte Mundy. The music you're hearing now and that you heard at the beginning of the episode is from Fong Tran's album, The Computer Room. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast, give us a five-star rating, and share it with your friends. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.